as we uh, dive in to right into Matthew uh, chapter 16, we have just read um, from the scriptures here that there was uh, some blinders that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had on. And I don't know um, if you have blinders at all, but I know that all of us do. Um, I, I know one of the things that Christine makes fun of me all the time is that it, I have blinders when it comes to driving. Um, and so I cannot multitask. So ask me to like look at a GPS and, and, and then drive a car, look out. Um, and so this is way back when we were dating. We were just, that was when we were living in L.A. And uh, we were coming out of a date from Old Town Pasadena. And I go out, and it was late. It was night, uh, nighttime, and I was going out. And I thought I knew the way home. So I said, Christine, I don't need the GPS. Um, bad idea. <laughs> I made a ride out of the parking lot, and I saw a pair of oncoming, oncoming headlights. And then as I, as, they, as I kept on driving, I was wondering why they weren't turning out of the way. And as, as I kept on driving, those lights got, got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I thought it was strange that it was in my lane. And Christine probably saw this like 15 seconds before, but uh, I was in a one-way street and I turned the wrong direction. And Christine just like literally screamed, watch out! And I just panicked. And luckily I was able to uh, look to the left and the right and then eventually it was, I turned into the same parking lot I left. And I think I had to pay an extra 30 minutes of worth of parking just to go in. And as, I was, as, uh, as the car left, as the car passed by, he was just looking at me as, I was, as if I was from Mars. And ever since then, Christine has been asking me all the time, he's like, are you sure you're not on a one-way street? <laughs> well, if this is important for us, how more important it is for us not to have blinders up. What we see here in this text um, in, is that we have blind spots. One of the incredible things um, that we had from the elder retreat is just to really just look at some of our weaknesses and share those weaknesses um, where we can hurt each other, or where we, where we uh, have blind spots. And it was just so good as elders to be able to share that. And same thing in your marriage. If you're married here today, that you, know, you, you, you might have a time during your date nights to be able to check in and say, you know, is there anything I can serve you better? Is there anywhere where I am blind and I'm not serving you well? And that's something that I, I try to do. Um, when I spend time with Christine. And so today, it's a day in which God is calling us, what is your blinders? Where are your blinders on? And where it, can it be tragic in which we don't see the blinders in our hearts and it leads us down a path of spiritual failure? Or can it be transformative? That if we do see our blind spots, can we, God redeem those blind spots and be able to redeem that and help us to see? So what we're going to see is that Jesus confronted the blinders on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Take a look with me in the text in chapter 16, 1 um, through, four, 1 through 4. And what we see here is that spiritual blinders block us from seeing Jesus. You would think the people with the clearest vision are the religious leaders, but actually that wasn't the case. These were two groups from completely opposing sides. They may have been revered as the most spiritual people of their days, um, and they may be seen as the spiritual authorities 
of their day. They were literally, their name, Pharisees, is, it, 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 it means separated ones. It means that they separated themselves from all the rest because their religious performance was so good. Because they went down to the minutia of God's law and they, they perfected it to a T. And it went down all the way down to not just the scriptures, but down to the laws and traditions in which they place the authority of their laws and traditions higher than the scriptures themselves. And the result was that they believed in all the right things. They believed in the Messiah. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in the final um, uh, resurrection. They believed in the judgments. And they believed all the right things, but in the end, they got so locked into the minutia of God's law that their hearts were not in it. And that's why Jesus had confronted them uh, just before this in Matthew 15, 8 through 9. And he calls out the, the, the Pharisees, and he says in verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These Pharisees, and, uh, these Pharisees were self-righteous because they prided themselves in their spiritual performance. And then you got the other guys on the other side of the spectrum, and that was the Sadducees because they were sad, you see. Um, no, not, not really. Uh, I know that's a junior high joke, but um, they were sad and because... They broke, they, they didn't spend time doing all the rules, they broke all the rules. They were the ones who said, you know, in the name of comfort and indulgence and uh, to preserve my wealth or my power, they would align themselves with whatever would be most politically um, appropriate and correct and whoever was in the politics of their day, whoever was the lead of the government that day and they would just align themselves with them and just be buddy-buddy up with them and just try to, you know, sneak in some favors just so that they can retain their power and their comforts and their prestige. And so they lived a life of self-indulgence. So on one hand, you have self-righteousness on the Pharisees. Then you have self-indulgence on the other one. Jesus obviously rebukes them. Oddly enough, they are completely on different sides of the spectrum, but what united them was their hatred toward Jesus. So when you, got, when you look at the text, when he, they're asking for a sign, they're not asking with really great intentions. And that's why Jesus answered them. They wanted a sign from heaven, and he answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. You know, it's kind of like the nautical saying, sailors delight, um, a red sky at night, sailors delight, um, red sky at morning, Sailors take warning. 
These Pharisees, these Pharisees studied the scriptures and the Old Testament scrupulously. They knew it backwards and forwards. Even you remember some of these Pharisees probably grew up as a little child memorizing large parts of the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew about this. They knew about how the scriptures spoke forward to the Messiah. And they knew um, of the scripture. They knew all the right things. But when Jesus was right in front of them, when the Messiah was just right there before their eyes, they could not recognize Jesus. And Jesus says to them, you evil and adulterous generation, you look for a miraculous sign, and I'm just going to give you the sign of Jonah. And you remember back in chapter 12, um, where the sign of Jonah was, was a physical sign? It was not a physical sign. If you remember, Jonah was a prophet. And if you remember, he rejected God's calling to preach. He was called to go to Nineveh, a wicked city. Instead, he rebelled, went the other way. Instead of killing him, which prophets should be killed, when which they disobey God, he runs the opposite way. God sends, a, uh, sends him to be thrown over the sea. And then, um, and then he gets swallowed by a fish. And then after he repents, and then he emerges from the waters and literally looking like he came back from the dead. That was the sign, right? Jonah's life literally was the sign. Think about, you know, some guy who has come back from the dead. He's been stuck in the belly of a fish for three days. His hair was probably bleached white. It just, he just looked like something out of a horror flick. But literally he was alive. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the same sign and that's going to be my resurrection. And I'm going to emerge from death by crucifixion three days later, which is what we celebrate um, in, just a couple, in, in just a month or so. But it will be his resurrection and that will be a sign. But even then, the Pharisees will be completely blind. It's because that the Pharisees not only would not want to believe that Jesus would die and rise from the dead, they would not believe because they didn't want to believe and Jesus calls them out because they interpret, that they can interpret the signs of the times. They can interpret the weather, but they couldn't interpret the signs of the time. And I think it just really asks, begs and asks us the question, where are we like the Pharisees? Where are we like the Sadducees in which we have blind spots? We have all these weather forecasts. We have um, these atmospheric data. We have several websites and news sites that we can go at a, at a blink and look at a 5, 10, 15, 20, 30-day weather forecast. But when it comes to the eternal we do not know how to discern the times. And maybe we have not even given it a, a time to really think about, we've thought about the weather, but we haven't thought about where we're gonna be in eternity. Are you like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, anybody who is sitting in this room in which you know how to discern politics, you know how to discern the um, the weather or um, economic things or anything like that, and you pride yourself in that, but the one thing that you do not know and you don't have the answer to is where am I going to spend eternity after I die? And that's a question that I think we got to be asking ourselves and cannot put our blinders on. What more important question is that? If you do not know where you are going to be when you take this last breath, 
on earth. It was an incredible time to know and to spend some time with Ife, as you know. Um, she was just going through a season in which um, her body has been rocked with a terrible cancer. And, um, it was just so, such a, such a privilege to be able to, as elders, the first thing that we got to do this morning was just to, to go over and pray for, pray for Ife. And um, man, the spirit of God was just all over, over that apartment. And um, just you felt, you can just sense the light of Christ and the light of eternity. Just, just being in her space and her apartment. And just to hear her resolve and her testimony. Even as she confronts that her body is fragile and it does have a, a, an ending point, it's weak at some times, man, just to be able to just sit and just soak in her faith and her resolve in the Lord Jesus. She says that, you know, during this time, she has gotten more close, more intimate with the Lord Jesus than she has ever been, and so she wouldn't, in a sense, trade this in and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, she knows where she is going. She has this amazing faith in the God of eternity, the God of glory, the God who has created her, the God who is powerful to be able to heal on a drop of a bucket, but yet that she places her, her faith and her, and her life in, in God's hands. And that's what she is holding on to. She knows, she knows the signs of the times, but she also knows Jesus and loves him and is swept away by him and has her faith fixed on him. And she just literally just encouraged us as we were praying over her of just her faith and her, the way that she um, just, it's so locked in to the eternal realities that's facing her. And we're continuing to pray, continuing. Y'all loving her so well. But what about you? Do you have blinders on? If you are sitting here and you do not know when you're gonna die, well, we're in a mess. If you haven't seen around the world and Ukraine and around the world and, um, and just even in our cities and in our towns and just the, the we're just in a, in a crazy mess where suffering and sin has ravaged our world, but God, who is the God who saves, the God who redeems, the God who changes, he is the one who takes us out of our messes, and he has reached into our mess by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise again in exchange for our sins. We can put our sins upon him, and then in exchange, he gives us his perfect righteousness so that we can go and be accepted by a God through our faith and trust in him forever and ever and ever. And the gospel is not only that, that you get a chance to be in the kingdom, but that you could be a part of what he's doing in the here and now, in this, uh, in this time between two kingdoms, in which you can be a part of the kingdom of God and walking as his disciple, as his child, as his son and his daughter, and to be able to walk um, alongside of Jesus and follow him with all of your heart and to love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. 
And I just think, it just really convicted me of the time um, in which, hey, do I spend time discerning more about the weather or sports or the world, or do I really spend time discerning and spending time contemplating and remembering my life here is short? Do I put myself into loving God, into knowing him? Is that what I will be known by? Is that what my heart's aim, my heart's affections is, is that it's Jesus and I want to love him and, and serve him and be in just enthralled in him and then to be able to take his name and his gospel and to share that along to the rest of the world who's dying and hurting and to walk in faithfulness. And I think it just really reminded me of the blind spots that I have um, and that maybe we all have as um, believers in Christ and, and maybe some of you who are not believers in Christ and that we need to be thinking about our eternal realities in our soul. Well, the good thing is that for the, for the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they didn't have that opportunity. They didn't want to believe. And so God, in a sense, confronted them of their blind spots, but they never really changed. But when we look at verses 5 through 12, we see um, that when God confronts the blind spots in his disciples, they, they are confronted and they are transformed. Look with me in verses 5 through 12. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they begin discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you have not... Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousands and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousands and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so here, the disciples, all they care about is that they forgot about lunch. <laughs> they just, they, they had some aching in their tummies and it was right around 12 o'clock and they were like, oh man, in Mark's gospel, it says they only brought one loaf of bread and they're probably just thinking, man, we're just getting breadcrumbs for lunch. They just literally were like, oh man, um, should have brought, should have brought that extra loaf from H-E-B, right? And, and Jesus said to them, watch and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I see Jesus' heart in this. He was not thinking about lunch. He was still grieving the rejection of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And at the same time, he was warning them against taking up that bread or believing the same things that they did, that they can perform to earn God's acceptance or that they can, in a sense, indulge and ignore God's presence. And so what they were saying, what Jesus was, was so concerned with, he was still thinking about the spiritual realities of the fact that these people um, leaders have rejected him and rejected the Messiah. And, and then Jesus goes after them and he's aware of this and, and they keep on saying, oh man, Jesus is mad at us because we didn't bring enough bread and he's gonna get upset at us. And, 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 and I love this because Jesus is aware of this. He didn't even have to ask them and he said, he was, he was aware, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? And he goes after them and he asks question after question after question. Do you not yet perceive? Do you rem not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? 
And then do you not remember when, you know, when we fed the 4,000 and the, the many baskets you gathered? You know, you might think to yourself, these disciples, they are just dense. And maybe in your heart of hearts, you might just be saying, man, they're just really dumb. <laughs> like, what is going on in their hearts? How could they just forget after feeding like maybe close to 40,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish? How do you fail to understand and we see he's, in a sense, he's exasperated. He is just, um, just grieving, and he's just asking, why? How could you just not know this? Do you not know that with just a snap of my fingers, I'm the bread of life, and I can multiply more than just bread in a single second? And I can feed, if I fed over 40,000 people, much easier it is that I can feed 12 of you hungry folks. And right then, that's where they were hit with the realization, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's where they, God gave them spiritual understanding. And they were given understanding that they weren't just talking about physical bread. They were talking about don't fall into the same trap that the Pharisees and the Sadducees have dropped into to think that they can just earn your father's love, to think that just by your spiritual performance, your religious performance, you can just be good enough to earn the approval and the love and the care of your father. Don't fall into that trap. And what Jesus, I think, was going after is this that Jesus was offering a free gospel of grace, one that was not predicated on how well or how nicely cleaned up we can present ourselves, how good of a person we can appear on Sundays, how good of a person that we can appear in our marriages, uh, how good of a person that we can uh, perform or try to be. But yet, still, we can do all these good things and completely have our blinders up that it's not about doing things. It's about being loved by an outrageously gracious God who is wildly in love with you and I and that God desires not your sacrifices, not your things, not your performance. He is after one thing, one thing, and that one thing only is a humble heart one who is chasing after Jesus and loving him and worshiping him and saying that out of all these things, it's about knowing Jesus and loving him. That is the one thing that he did not want his disciples to miss. And I wanna ask us today, is this, what is your blinders? Where is your blind spots on in which maybe you've been behaving like a Pharisee and maybe you've been thinking that by your religious performance or your prayers or everything that you're doing for him is more important than what you are to him. And, and I just want you to be able to just spend some time as we spend some time in prayer and that you would confess and repent. Jesus, my works does not earn any acceptance with you. All of my acceptance is on the cross and has been taken and, and has been uh, redeemed for me through the blood of Christ in which the wonder-working power in which we had just sung about. 
Jesus has already accomplished everything we need for our salvation and for our sanctification, for his glory and for our good, so we can turn around and just say, God, you are good. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you are so gracious. And I just come with open hands and open hearts. Father, help me to fill your love. Maybe there's some blind spots in terms of your lives of self-indulgence. Maybe there are some things in which you have been caught in, in just thinking and about just the temporal things in which you discern the weather, but you haven't discerned the signs of the times. And I just want you to spend some time and ask God, where are your blinders? Where, do you have your blind spots on in which you are living this Christian life, but it's really a Christian life that's made in your own image? It's based off of your own comfort. And Jesus is asking you to walk with him, to follow him along where he wants you to follow, but you have been just unwilling or scared or uh, motivated by fear or, 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 or something else. And I just want you to spend some time and just ask the Lord, where are my blind spots? And so let's all stand as we transition into a time of... Um, just a short time of listening prayer and just a time of, of just praying over our body. Just spend some time praying over these things and asking God, Lord, where are my blind spots? Is there anything you just simply want me to confess to you? Because in that confession, even that, we can feel the Lord's love and care and forgiveness as we give that to him. Father, I thank you that you're here in this room. And I pray that you would not let your word go back void. But Lord, you would do what only you can do, Father. Convict us by the Spirit through the preaching of your word. Minister to our hearts now as we pray. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. Your grace is wildly free. And, and not based on anything we do. Simply on what you've done. We worship you, Jesus. And we invite you into this space. In Jesus' name, amen.